1: Welcome to Dropping the Gloves with John and Tim. Welcome to the show. We're back from a little hiatus, Tim.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's been a little while because we did two episodes at the beginning of last week.
1: We dropped the Monday, Tuesday, and then you know what? You went to Washington or Virginia to be precise for work. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to have myself a little five-day weekend. And I took Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. (laughs) <laughs> I needed it. I needed a break. I need, we went hot and heavy on the trade deadline. We had a couple of interviews. I just needed a little break. So it was nice. It was nice. You're back. I'm back. Who else is back? Who's here? Can you say hi? Uh, hi. That's Estelle. All her sisters are outside playing. And she, for some reason, wants to sit on my lap and read a book and uh, listen to us do a podcast, Tim. Welcome, Estelle. We <laughs> do. All right. She's not much of a talker. She's more of a listener, but yeah, she's going to be here. But anyway, so let's um, break down a couple of the trades that happened and the impacts they are already having on the teams. Like it's, it's been impressive. There wasn't a lot of deals done compared to years past. There wasn't the flurry of movement, the big names moving around. But the names that we did see, they're having somewhat of an impact on the teams already. The, the last trade of the trade deadline, the one that surprised everybody, the biggest trade arguably of all the trades at the deadline was Anthony Mantha going from the Detroit Red Wings to the Washington Capitals, the juggernaut Capitals who have found their way. They're, they're leading that division, them and the New York Islanders. They get Anthony Mantha in a surprise move. He's he's hit hit the ground running with the Washington Capitals. He's fit right in. He's got four goals in four games. How do, do you think this impacts your Stanley Cup contention now to him with Anthony Mantha in the fold?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's not just that he's scoring goals, but the way he's scoring goals. He's like picking pockets. He's um... – a couple of them have been really good snipes. And we talked about how this really balances out those top two lines for the Capitals in a way that like Vrana is obviously a good young player, but he just hasn't been the same since that cup run, to be honest. And uh, Manta is a big, big boy. I think he's gonna, he's the type of player that shop, should thrive in the playoffs. And I don't think he's even seen it before. Um, so he's he fits right in. Not surprised by that. And the Capitals—they lost to the Bruins today, but they're still probably the team to beat coming out of the East.
1: Yeah. What surprised me is everybody on Washington just saying he has just as good, if not a better, of shot than Ovechkin. No, and, come yeah, on. Yeah, that was the the word coming from Washington. All the players, all the reporters, all the coaches saying this guy has an incredible shot. The only difference is Ovechkin can get his off. And mantha hasn 't found a way to to get his shot off consistently, whereas Ovechkin he can be in a phone booth and get off a pretty powerful shot, but when he has some time and some space, they say mantha 's shot is deadly, so we 'll see if that plan pans out because he will get some room playing with Washington, playing with Detroit. He was keyed on a little bit more. they had Larkin in Detroit they had who else Bertuzzi. They Bert, yeah, i i don 't think he takes room away from me. I think you know you have Larkin and then you had Mantha. In Washington, you have a lot more threats to worry about than Anthony Mantha, so maybe he will get what a, what a name anthony mantha that's that 's a funny name it 's a good name it 's a good name, but i if my last name was mantha and i 'm your parents anthony mantha yeah. it 's just a funny name, but anyways good for him, good start for him another the, the other big trade, arguably as big if not bigger. Was the Taylor Hall saga? We didn't know where saga or saga. What do you say?
0: I'm a saga guy.
1: You're a saga guy. I'm a saga guy. Um, I guess I say saga sometimes too. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> he goes to your Bruins. Yep. Not really that big of a surprise. You know, they were always in the running for for Taylor Hall. They were in the running for him in the free agency this past year when he signed with the Sabres out of nowhere for one year for $8 million. That experiment didn't work. His value has completely plummeted. He got traded for a second rounder. Him and Riley – excuse me, him and Lazar. They picked up Riley along the way. The Bruins are – flying. They're 4-0, and 5-0 now after beating the Washington Capitals since Hall's arrival. Has he, much like Anthony Mantha, changed the perspective of the Boston Bruins? Because going into the trade deadline, there was chatter all around the league saying they should just sell, 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 sell. I was one of those guys saying you either have to make a move and go out and make some really drastic moves or you got to sell everybody because you can't sit there and keep doing what you're doing. What, where do you see the Bruins now, especially after their hot start since acquiring these guys?
0: Well, they've looked good. They're 4 they're now. I, I included the Washington in that number. I'm assuming they're going to close out this game. We're recording right now on Sunday afternoon. Um, they beat Buffalo. No, big surprise there. But they beat the Islanders twice, back-to-back nights. Um, they hadn't beat the Islanders all year. There was like the one team that sort of always had their number. Uh, and One of those included the shout-out for that rookie goaltender, Swayman. Um, Taylor Hall scored two goals in the first three games. I don't think he scored today, but – uh, he matched his, his season total in Buffalo. The biggest thing for this, what this does for the Bruins, is, and we talked about it all year, that second line. They have a real good second line now. Um, take the pressure off that bergeron uh pastonac line. Now Krejci's got a really solid winger he can play with, and they moved Craig Smith up there. I thought it was going to be DeBrusque, but I think DeBrusk hasn't really earned much of the trust of the coach this year, so he's bumped down to the third. It looked really good. I mean, Krejci scored two goals today. He had another one the other night. Paul had a goal. Craig Smith scored at least one goal on this line. They're clicking, and it's just taking so much pressure off that top line, creating those, those tougher matchups for their opponents. It's just they're looking really good right now. I don't want to get too too excited, especially we still got a few more weeks of the season left. But right now things are looking good. Taylor Hall, even when he's not scoring goals, he's 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 an elite player when it comes to the breakout. I saw that stat from um, I want to say Mike Kelly earlier, one of those TSN guys, but just talking about how how impactful he can be without the puck when he's on. And so far, you can see his confidence is there. He's skating hard. He's going to the net. It's it's fun to watch, and I'm I'm pumped for what this means for the Bruins.
1: Yeah, and it, it did coincide with Tuco Ras coming back. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, everything's coming together at the right time for the Boston Bruins. They get Taylor Hall. He has a few weeks to kind of gel with Krejci and Smith, get some, you know, cohesiveness so they can, you know, be, get some familiarity going into the playoffs. The big, big difference right now I see with the Bruins is Mike Riley. he stepped in. He played more minutes than Charlie McAvoy the first few games. What was glaring to me is he had like five minutes on the power play. Charlie McAvoy only had a minute and a half. So he stepped in and just took the reins on that back end. Now, I don't see this lasting this way. I still feel like Charlie McAvoy is the number one D-man back there. But Mike Riley has stepped in as number two. He's consistently getting 22, 23 minutes a game for this team. Charlie McAvoy's playing the same amount of minutes. They needed that guy to come in and just settle them down. We've talked about this before. They've been decimated by injuries on the back end. They didn't do anything in the off season to sign any defense when they were really leaning on their young guys to step in and fill those holes, getting this guy. It's really made a huge difference. And who knows if you can keep this up. I know when players go to a new team, I did it myself a couple times. You really want to make a good first impression. So you try extra hard the first week, who I, I hope they keep this up because man, if you put Boston in the same echelon as the other teams in that division, those first two rounds in that division are gonna be insane. Like it's gonna be absolutely insane to have Pittsburgh, Boston, Islanders, and Washington battling it out for one spot when in a normal season when it isn't this divisions, those four would be arguably maybe the top four seeds in the East. Like it's pretty fun to know that they're gonna be duking it out in the first and second round. I, I'm so excited. And Washington has to be nervous or the Islanders, whatever team draws the Bruins right now. If you can maintain Tuukka Rask's health and Mike Riley, you know, keep playing the way he's playing and you ha- somehow get Brandon Carlo back. I don't know what the status on him is. I know I dog him a little bit, but he is a serviceable defense. When you throw him on the second pairing, the Bruins are all of a sudden a very dangerous team. They got that second line. And for some reason, you put this stat down Tim in our notes. They score shorthanded goals better than anybody in the world. Oh like yeah. Better better than anybody in the whole world. The Boston Bruins bury shorthanded goals. You spend more time on time on the Bruins than I do Tim. I know why. Like I have a good idea how they do it. Their strategies but t- tell me like what do you think? Why are they so successful when they're killing penalties?
0: I think it's the, it's the personnel. I mean, uh, this is the stat I had is Marshawn and Bergeron have combined for the, in the last four years. So since the 2017 season, they have 18 shorthanded goals that that includes Bergeron's today. In that time, the capitals have 17, the entire capitals total, the wild have 17, the Kings and Leafs have 16 the flyers have 15 like these two guys are just combining for more than entire franchises for shorthanded goals and i think it, it has to do with the coaching as well just giving these these guys the leash to take a little bit of some chances some risk and and it obviously pays off i think it is i mean it seems like and i know this isn't true but it seems like every time it go shorthanded it's like a 50 50 and who's gonna score because these guys are just so good
1: well, if you're, if you're putting up that many goals, and that doesn't include the rest of the team because you know the rest of the team has put another 10 in the last yep. four years, it's, it's just a mindset. Most teams, when they go on the penalty kill, all they're trying to do is just get it out of the zone and just weather the two minutes, and we'll get back to our normal game. When these guys get on the ice, they are looking for opportunities. And when you're on the power play, you're not looking to play defense. You're not looking to back check. You're not looking to do a hard play and like, oh, I got to hustle back. It's a two-on-two. Two. I, 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 I got to make it a two-on-three for those uh, for the help out my D-men. So it, it gives the forwards a little extra oomph who are killing to go and you know get some goals. And this day and age, you see it so often, a lot of teams throw a forward back on the back end. So if you have just one defenseman back here and you have four forwards – that's – you know what, that's a red flag, especially if you've got two guys like Marshawn and Bergeron who are so familiar with each other. They pretty much know what each other is going to do at all times. It's scary. And so they just – if they get an opportunity, they're going. They're forechecking. They're trying to jump up in the rush to have a two-on-two, a two-on-one. The D-men are jumping in the rush. Everybody's jumping when those two are on the ice. So I, it's scary. Like, they're, they're so incredibly good. It, it's exciting to see them. If I'm a power play guy and I'm playing Boston – you're almost playing like a five on five. You're hustling back. You're coming back for the breakout. You're coming back through the middle because you, you can't take chances versus this team. And we said it in the beginning of the year, these guys don't score five on five that often. So they did all their damage on the power play scoring shorthanded goals. If they can somehow get their five on five game figured out, man, how quickly a mindset of a team changes just based on a couple of trades and some guys getting healthy. It's, it's amazing. I thought the Bruins were garbage. I thought they were done. I I was like, sell the whole team, fire Don Sweeney, let's just scorched earth, and we'll start again next year. And here I am thinking they're going to beat the Capitals or the Islanders in the playoffs in the first round. It's pretty remarkable what they've done in a week's time. Halls fit in seamlessly. Mike Riley's playing great. Even Lazar, he's a good player. Throw him on the third or fourth line. He can get you a couple points here and there. The Bruins are a threat, Tim. you got to be happy. You have to be happy.
0: Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, they're not just beating the best teams in the league right now. They're kicking the crap out of them. So hopefully this continues and um, they don't, I don't, you know, we talk about peaking too early. Hopefully they continue this
1: uh, in the next couple of months, hopefully. So we had a little mini controversy, Tim, here at my house in the NHL. My former number from one of my hall of fame career teams, some kid wants to wear my number. Did you hear about this?
0: Yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up.
1: You know, I, I, I thought about what to do. Should I, should I be a stick in the mud like other Hall of Famers and just not let the kid wear my number? But I, I figured I'd be the better person. Cole Caulfield reached out. I like to, I like to think he reached out, but he didn't reach out. Uh, he's wearing number two for the Canadians. This kid coming out of college, very highly sought after prospect. He, people are they, – they, they say big things about this kid. He's got a shot. He's got unbelievable hands. He's going to come in and make a difference with the Montreal Canadiens right away. They they have an issue with the salary cap. Montreal obviously they've spent every single penny they have, and they have, I think they have twenty seven forwards on NHL contracts. So they got to figure out a way to get him into the lineup. But apparently, he's making his debut, and he picked number twenty two. As a big John Scott fan, Tim, does it bother you to see a player wearing my number?
0: It does. And it's not it's not Caulfield's fault that the number's available. It's I'm I'm angry with the Canadians that that number is not up in the
1: rafters somewhere. You know what I mean? I, I'm a little upset about it too. My my, my illustrious one game career with the Montreal Canadiens. Oh <laughs> no, it's a funny little thing. The kid's coming in. He's gonna play his first NHL game. Good for him. Montreal is struggling. They really are struggling a lot, and hopefully he kind of jump starts the team because Nothing seems to be working for them. Yes, they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think Calgary will catch them. They're, they're, they have too many games in hand, Montreal does, and there are too many points behind, but it's uh it's exciting. He's going to have a good first debut. Kids coming out of college, we, we've documented it before. It's not like it was 20 years ago where they're, you know, behind. I think that they're the same as kids coming out of junior. So, I don't know, wish them the best. Hopefully Montreal can right their ways because, you know, they've got a good team. If Carey Price gets in the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. But versus Toronto, I I don't know. They're not going to stand any chance. Moving on, Tim. There is going to be a record that will be broken. A record that many people thought would never be broken. Mr. Hockey, Mr. Guy, who played over five decades. He played with his sons in the NHL. Um, Not the NHL, the IHL. Had the games played record. Patty Marlowe tied it. He's going to break the record on Monday when this episode releases. Is this a big deal, Tim? Yeah, this- it's
0: a it's a huge deal because I think like this is a record that has stood for like I forget like fifty six years or something, which is much longer than we've seen with any of the other sports. I saw the stat: uh, baseball, hockey, baseball, football, basketball. Like the records have not stood for this long. So Gordy Howe is one of those ones that you thought could never be broken, but I. And honestly, I think someone's going to break Marlowe's at some point. You know what I mean? It's just the way that the league is trending, guys just playing older and older. But it's a huge deal. I mean, just that many games is hard to fathom. 17, what's it, 1780-something is a is number. Um, yeah, it's a huge deal and good for him. It shows a lot of his resilience, of his grit. I'm sure a lot of those games he was playing through injuries, I'm sure a lot of those games he was he was banged up. Um, and to play that many games in the NHL is a, is a testament to his strength. And, uh, yeah, good for him.
1: It equates to having a 22-year career and not missing any games. It's an incredible feat. And I know I've said on the show quite a bit that 1,000 games doesn't mean much anymore, and I stand by that. You, you see it every week. Every couple of weeks, a guy reaches 1,000 games. Milan Lucic just did it last week. Jordan so Stahl. Not, and Stahl and uh, Nick Backstrom. Like, there's been 10 to 15 guys who have reached it this season alone. So it's it's not um, a very dramatic thing to say, like a 1,000 games isn't what it used to be. I think this record will be very hard to beat. It, it will be very, very hard to top this. I don't know who the next closest active player is, but to play 22 games and to never get hurt, the only time he has really missed time was because of lockouts, which is sad because if you don't have those three lockouts that he was a part of – He's pushing 1,850, 1,900 games. Like, it's pretty incredible. And they don't include playoff games because that would even push him even higher. He's played probably, gosh, 2,200 games in his career in the NHL. It's a pretty impressive feat for Patty Marlowe. It says a lot about his longevity. And it's interesting because I don't think he's ever been the best player on his team at any point in his career. He's always been – you know, the second or third option. He's always been steady Eddie. He's never going to get a hundred points in a season. I don't think he's gotten a hundred points. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, but so. he's, he's just a pretty consistent player and he does his job. He He's not going to do anything controversial off the ice. He barely talks to the media when he does. It's just like, did he just say anything or is it's the most vanilla interviews ever. And that's just the way Patty Marlowe is. He is a no-nonsense guy. He gets his work in, he punches in, he punches out, and he'll be there the next day. And, you know, some people don't think it's exciting, but to do that for 22 years at any job, to not miss a day, it's, a, it's incredible. You show me a person who works any job, any job, I don't care what it is, who hasn't missed a day of work in 22 days, and I'll, I'll, I'll be amazed. Like, to not have a sick day – to not hurt yourself, let alone he's playing in one of arguably the most physical games on earth, and he's a target, and he's a good player. To not- I miss games because of injury, and I play six minutes a game. Like To do it for 22 seasons at his level, like, it's, he, it, it's pretty incredible. Like, I hope the NHL does something to commemorate this, to give him an award or do something because it's pretty neat. I don't know. I'm happy for him. I'm actually happy he didn't get traded. I think it's something special to do with the team that you came in with. Yeah, he shopped around. He went to Pittsburgh. He went to Toronto. He bounced around a little bit. He was even in Carolina a little bit, I think. But he didn't play any games. But it's neat. You know, he started with San Jose. I, I bet you he played over 1,600 games with the San Jose Sharks. Good for Patty. Good for hockey. I don't know. When you look at the record books, do you think of Patrick Marlowe and Gordy Howe in the same vein? No. Gordy's always going to be thought of as better. But, you know, it, it just speaks to Patrick and his, how he prepared for the game. So good for him.
0: It is good for him, yeah, and uh, we saw a cool moment last night when the Minnesota Wild all congratulated him and shook his hand after the game, and then so tomorrow night he's going to break that record, assuming he plays, in Vegas, which will be pretty cool, and the best part is they have an off day on Tuesday, and they're going to be in Las Vegas celebrating this. Do you think the boys will be going out pretty hard?
1: Well, I think they'll go out hard for Patty, but Patty, Like I said, he's probably going to have dinner afterwards with the team. He'll have a couple drinks, but he's not going to go out. That's just not his style. He's got four kids at home. He's got a wife. He's just Mr. Responsible. He's probably going to go out and have a few beers, go back to the room, be at the rink, first guy at the rink the next day. Like, that's not his MO to go out and get, you know, a little belligerent with the boys. I'm sure a lot of guys will. San Jose out of the playoff chase. They got an off day in Vegas, heads up. But for the most part, Patty will be Mr. Responsible. He's just going to, you know, him and uh, what's-his-face over there? I don't even know his name anymore. He was on the show. Pickles? Yeah, Picks. They'll, you know, they'll be in the room, 7 a.m., doing their training and stuff. So good for Patty. If one guy can break it, it's a Mark Edward Vlasic. That's interesting you bring his name up because he's Mr. Reliable too. And he doesn't miss any games as well. But I'll be watching. I hope the NHL does something fun for him because this is a record that, like you said, no one thought would be broken and stood for 50-some years. And, gosh, I think it'll stand for another 50-some years because it's 22 years, Tim. It's hard to wrap your head around that without getting hurt or injured. It's crazy. Speaking of hurt or injured or on the I.L., we're getting a whole team back from the injured list team. Tim, the whole team. Oh, yeah. It's like an expansion
0: Van- draft or something.
1: The Vancouver Canucks are defying my – my uh, what do they say? What do you call it? My – Prediction. Predictions. They're coming back. The whole team is coming off the IR, and they're going to play a game tomorrow. They were supposed to play today, but Vancouver said, you know what? Like, let's relax. We haven't even had a practice. They're going to, like, activate everybody, and we're just going to play right away based on one pregame skate. So JT Miller was a big part of this. i know. fill us in on what's happening, Tim. You know more than I do.
0: Yeah, well, they haven't played in about two weeks since they all got COVID, um, and they didn't just get it like in the way that I got it, for example, which is kind of a bad, you know, flu for a day or two. Like these guys are losing body mass; they are having trouble breathing. A lot of them having trouble sleeping. Quinn Hughes already like a skinny young kid supposedly lost a bunch of weight. Um, they got it. They got it pretty bad. They and they had the, the one of the variant strains, which I think is uh, way more. Um, faster traveling and and the symptoms are a little bit worse too and now like as soon as they're like legally and, and physically able to technically play the nhl is putting these games in and this is what you're seeing now so they're about to play i think the number is 19 games in 31 days after having been sick for two weeks with, uh, you know, a, a pandemic virus. And most of these games are meaningless. It's going to be against teams that are, aren't really in the playoff run, like Ottawa, or teams that don't really need the points and won't matter anyway, like Toronto. Um, and it's just crazy. Like JT Miller spoke in the media the other day, and he got a lot of praise for kind of being brave to, to what he was saying. And he basically, this is a quote from him. <clears throat> Here, I'll read it. He said, what we're being asked to do is not going to be too safe, if you're asking me. It's kind of frustrating if I'm being honest with you. We try to talk about the number one priority of being the player's health and their family's safety, and it's almost impossible to do what they've asked us to do here on our return. So he's not shy about saying how he feels. I'm sure he's speaking for most of the boys on that team. Um, I don't know. I, 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 gosh, to say that they should not play these games at all and end their season early – is, is I guess kind of a bold thing, but it's, there's a global pandemic. It's time to take extreme action when it's needed. And it seems like playing these games is just reckless.
1: Well, it's irresponsible. And I think much like, and I'm not going to get into political stuff. People hate it when I do that. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut when it comes to that. It's irresponsible. And much like everything else, it's all about the money. They don't care about the players, the NHL, and they're making this pretty obvious by, by making this decision of forcing these guys to play. Because if, if you were to ask me and JT Miller, any other player in that situation who hasn't even skated, and, and I'm not even taking into account the sickness, if you were to take an NHL team and say, you guys are not allowed to practice for two weeks, that's it. You can work out in your locker room. You can you know, prepare as best you can. And then we're going to ask you to play after two weeks. Every team would say no because it's irresponsible because playing hockey is a completely different animal than working out. We see it every preseason guys get hurt, hamstrings, groins, this and that, because it's a different animal. Now to compound that with what they went through, a sickness, not even skating, not working out, losing weight, not even like all of this stuff piling up. And you're asking them to come off of a two-week break where they haven't worked out, they haven't been eating, they've been laying on the couch trying to get better, taking antibiotics, worrying about their families, and the NHL is forcing them into games where they don't even matter. It's reckless. It's irresponsible. It's disgusting. Honestly. Honestly. It's, it's all about the money. It, it it's, makes this glaringly obvious what the NHL is all about. They could care less about the players. They could care less.
0: I mean, John, I, I had it like barely. Like, I was very, very lucky. And I, I took a walk around my block, like one block, and I come home from sleep for two hours. It knocked me out. And these guys had it way worse than they're trying to play in an NHL game. It's just crazy.
1: Well, we uh, heard a quote from one of the players saying, I still feel foggy. I can't concentrate. Um, I'm definitely not myself but I'm going to play because we don't have players. And it's just reckless. I don't like it. And some of these guys are fighting for their careers. You know, they're in a contract years. This is the time of year where you showcase for the team. Like, okay, I want to get another contract for next year. So these guys are going to play regardless if they're sick or they they should be playing or not. I just don't like it. And you mentioned it in our notes. Where's the NHLPA during this whole fiasco? Like there's supposed to be checks and balances in place for these guys to protect them because – You can't – players aren't going to protect themselves. They're going to be tough. They're going to play. They're going to suck it up. They're going to do what they have to do to get on the ice. You have to have people looking out for the players, and this is a clear-cut example of the NHL just – NHLPA, excuse me, just blowing this for the players. They should have stepped in. They should have said, you know what, this is not safe. These guys have been sitting on a couch dealing with a major illness for two weeks. Some of them, like, got really sick. And it's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Everyone's saying, follow the science, protect the players. We're going to do everything we can to keep them safe. We're going to quarantine. We're going to do this and that. We're going to have a bubble. But you, if you do get coronavirus, we want you to come back as quick as possible. As quick as possible because we've got to get these games in because the playoffs are coming. It's just so hypocritical. It drives me absolutely crazy. It's so stupid. Gary Bettman should be ashamed of himself. Bill Daly should be ashamed of himself. It goes against everything that they talk about before the season. We're going to keep these guys safe. We're going to make sure we're doing all the right things. We're going to have protocols. We're going to have testing. If someone gets sick, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to skip games, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, shoot, we only got two weeks left. we got to get all these games in. we got to make the money. We can't disappoint the sponsors. we got to get something done. You guys are going to play 19 games in 30 days. After taking two weeks off with the, with the disease that's killing 500,000 people. Oh, oh, by the way, yeah, we you know, we got to do that. Honda and Scotia and all these sponsors, they got really cool commercials planned for the playoffs. And you guys, we got to get those commercials in because you're in the North Division. Pretty big deal. It's a joke. It's honestly a joke. All this stuff that they do is for – it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all about the money. I hate it. I can't stand it makes me sick vancouver should never come back to play if they were going to come back to play they should only play the teams that the games are consequential play versus montreal play versus calgary the games versus ottawa are, are useless they're not going to mean anything in the standings in the long run ottawa's going to come last in that division vancouver's going to come it's it's pointless i don't like it i don't know what do you have anything else to touch on what did elliot friedman say
0: yeah, yeah. He basically said that a lot of the players are frustrated with the organization. They're upset because they feel like they were left in the dark. So I wonder if the the president, GM, owners, whatever, maybe knew a little bit of information more quickly, or they didn't communicate well with the players. I mean, there's just there's so much messy stuff going on with the situation. It does make me think too. Like you said, the NHLPA, like if they're not sticking up now for the players in a situation like this, what is it for? And you were, you were the rep for many years. You were in those rooms. You're part of the conversation, nothing like this, obviously, but like, does this surprise you that they're not doing anything? Like, would you, th- would you have thought they'd step in and, in something like this?
1: It does surprise me. Yeah. I, I thought they would have done anything because it doesn't sound like the NHLPA did anything. It sounds like the NHL came in. They said, listen, we'll give you two weeks get healed up, but then we got to go, baby. Like, we got to get these games in. And the NHLPA just said, okay, yeah, two weeks, that sounds good. Mind you, like you said, this disease, everybody reacts to it differently. Some guys like George Rock get it, and he's doing marathons three days later. Other people, it, it, it just knocks him out for a month, month and a half. So no one knows how you're going to react. And to just say you have this finite amount of time, then we're going to play a game two days later, it's incredible. And then they do the cool, like, oh, you know what? Okay, you don't want to play on Sunday? You can play Monday there. You're welcome. We're this soft and fuzzy league that does everything for the players. They don't do things. None of the big organizations, the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, they don't care about the players. We're just a part of the product that gets money into their pockets. And I, I don't think we should be surprised. Like this isn't a surprise. I thought they would do the right thing and not let them play, not force them to play. Cause it sounds like the players don't want to play. It's just, it's, it's frustrating. I, I'm glad I'm not on that team because it would just be hard. You know you're going into a game, and you're just going to get dominated. You don't know how your body's going to react. You haven't played in two weeks. You've had a couple skates that can't duplicate anything. It's just a joke. Honestly, I don't know. I I'm don't like, it. like it.
0: If I'm one of these teams that has to play the Canucks, like I don't, I don't even want to play these games either. Like that's not fun to play these guys that haven't skated. You know they're all unhappy, they're all pissed off, they're all upset, they're all can't yeah. breathe. You know, like this, no one's gonna have fun in these games, and you then if someone gets hurt, yeah.
1: And you're and you're gonna you, yeah. You just limit the limit the the bleeding basically. If you're a team playing the Canucks, you get up by three. And you just coast. You, you don't embarrass them because if, if you were in that position, like I'm sure you would want someone to do that to you too. And at the end of the day, all the players stick together. Like It's a very small fraternity that they're in. There's 700-plus guys in the NHL, and so you want to take care of each other. It's it's just a bad situation. What if someone goes out there and has like a cardiac arrest or something? I, I, I don't know. Like It's just a scary situation, and the NHL is being reckless. I don't know. I don't like it, Tim. I don't like it at all.
0: Well, that's all I got for today. I don't have anything else, um, but we got to get, get an interview lined up this week. It's been a couple oh, of weeks. I have a few guys in mind, so
1: we'll get something this week for sure. That's not my job, Tim. Oh, yeah, I know. That, that's your job. But anyways, good episode. Good to have you back in Michigan. Tim, glad to have you in the fold again. We'll see you guys on Wednesday back to our regular schedule now that Tim's back in town. I hope everybody had a good weekend. We will talk to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>